Good morning to you. Uh, we can do a little better than that. If I got to be chipper, you got to be chipper too. Good morning to you. Oh, that means so much. Uh, we're going to talk about cherishing the book. Would you repeat that after me, please? And Father, I just thank you that your word is life and light. And we just ask that your spirit would teach us today because we want to grow in hunger for the word of God. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Um, I just, I have some good news for you, several bits of good news. Uh, you guys are the most generous people on the face of the earth. And uh, we were trying to raise money to buy 20 motorcycles, and these would be given to men who are not church planning in West Africa, but are coordinators. They may be over 50 to 75 church planners, and they needed transportation. It was $1,700 a bike. We thought we might could raise money for 20, and I think it's up there like 32 and a half or something like that. Isn't that awesome? Good job, you guys. And the Joshua Fund through Joel Rosenberg is helping people on the ground, Israelis, Palestinians, Christians, and they have connections there. And so we thought we might could raise 25, and you guys have given 38000 already, and we're going to collect money through the end of the month for this. So if you still want to give, you're welcome to do that. Uh, let me tell you about one other thing in your bulletin. Look at it just for a minute. Uh, we give out a yellow card for our people. It's a stewardship card in November. And there's a, some blanks at the bottom. And one of the blanks says, I'm feeling like I have a call to ministry. And I want to talk to somebody about that. And 20 of our people check that box. And so I, I, I'm telling those guys that I'll meet with them Thursday night over here from 6.30 to 8.30. And I just thought, why not open it to everybody? Because all of us have a call. And I'm not going to tell you what your call is. I don't want to presume to do that. But I will give you some principles of how to discern your call. And it'll be a time of question and answers. So if you want to come... Just show up Thursday night, 6.30, in some of the rooms on that side of the wall. Okay, you got it? You got it? Thank you. Now, notice in your bulletin you have a little blue card. And we've done this for 30 years, and I did it for years before that. And the purpose is to ask the Holy Spirit what you need. And to, he'll give you a verse, write it down, memorize it, think about it. Uh, quote it and try to live it all year and I've already got mine for the year and it came out of <clears throat> men's Bible study Wednesday night called Band of Brothers and we were studying two battles in 2 Samuel 23 and they were impossible odds and the victors the, the men that won the battle they said this at the end of the battle and the Lord Brought, a break, bought, brought about a great victory on that day. And I need to remember it's always the Lord. It's not me. And we're always overmatched, and we can always depend on Him. So I urge you to do something like that. <clears throat> Ask the Lord to give you one. Put it in your Bible. Tape it to your vanity. But let the Lord uh, soak it into your life. Now let's all turn to Matthew chapter 7. I think I was there, and I shut my Bible. Matthew chapter 7. You all, you all brought your Bibles, right? Got them? <clears throat> Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a what? A wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it didn't fall. Why did it not fall? Because it had been founded on the rock. And Jesus said, verse 26, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
because the rain fell. And, and brothers and sisters, the rain will fall in our lives. The floods will come and the winds will blow and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. So we're going to start off with that verse. You hear these words, Jesus said, and you choose to build your life upon the words of the gospel, the words of scripture. You'll be compared by Jesus to be a wise man or wise woman, and you're going to need that. And the rain will fall, the floods will come, and blow upon your life, yet you won't fall despite whatever happens because you based your life on the rock of Christ and his words. Now, I'll just tell you a little story. So I read through the Bible every year. I've done it for a long time. I bet it's been 15 years ago. I'm reading through 1 Samuel chapter 7, and where the most significant man of the country, Samuel the prophet, helped defeat an overwhelming Philistine force. And when the battle was over, people were praising God. He erased a huge stone there in the field. And this is a picture of an actual stone. I doubt if it's the same one. But it could have been six feet, could have been 20 feet. The purpose was, and he named it Ebenezer. There used to be an old Methodist song. Here I raised my Ebenezer. And the word Ebenezer in Hebrew means <clears throat> it's at this spot. It's at this, it's at this spot where the Lord helped me. So in the house I lived in for 25 years, uh, I got the bright idea. I asked my wife's permission. I said, I want to put a stone, just a small stone in our front yard. And this is the small stone I've I found in a neighbor's field, and he, I said, could I have it? He said, sure. And he said, I'll use the backhoe, and I'll, actually a front loader, and I'll bring it up here, and I'll dig the hole. That thing was nine feet tall, <clears throat> so we put it three feet in the ground, and I have no idea what's going to keep it upright. I put 20 bags of concrete in it. And my wife said, I didn't know it was going to be so big. I said, well, sorry. I'll take it down if you want to. But why did, why did you do it, Steve? I said, I did it for my family and my kids. Every time they leave our house, they're going to drive right by it. I did it for me. I did it for all of our neighbors that would come over and hang out with us. I did it for all of you guys who'd come to soccer games and cookouts and, and music groups because I wanted a testimony that would say we want to be wise people and we want to base our lives on the rock that doesn't change. Someone say amen. Now, today's premise. So while well, we're talking about what we're doing, If you learn to read the Bible methodically, most Christians don't, most preachers don't, most missionaries don't, but if you set the pace that you're going to read the Bible methodically, which means it's not random, you're not closing your eyes and flipping open a page and reading a couple of sentences, no, you read methodically, you have a method it will change your life, and it will sustain your life. I call it the great, great equalizer. It'll fix a lot of stuff wrong in your head and your heart and your family because it'll help you get right. And if you're 15 years of age or you're 13 or you're 21, if you figure this out now, Jesus will look at you and go, you have been a wise woman because you have built your life upon the rock. Now, let's all turn to Psalm uh, 19. Go to the middle of your Bible. If I can find my, my spectacles. Psalm 19. In verse 7, 
through 11. You found it? Now, the Holy Spirit has given us seven pictures of the Scripture, okay? Seven different ways to look at it and to see the benefits. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Everyone say perfect. Restoring the what? Soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And this is out of New American Standard. Your version may say things a little differently. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the what? Eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. Now, verse 10 and 11 give us some other benefits. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter, everyone say sweeter, sweeter than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them is great reward. It'll pay off pay off, pay off if you pay attention and live what the scripture says. So these six things, let's go through them. The first one is the law. Everyone say the law. What do you mean the law? And we'll give you simple definitions. It's the ruling. This is what heaven says is right. This is what heaven says is wrong. And it says the law of the Lord is perfect. It's not batting 300 or batting 600. It is batting 1,000. And when the scripture says it is perfect, it means without error. There's no flaws in it. You can trust it. And it says this, restoring the soul. Now, I guess it's been, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago. Just reading through the scripture. I get to Psalm 19. The Lord didn't say this up front, but I felt like he said, Steve, I'm going to change your life today forever. Pay attention. Look what I'm going to show you. So this is the most important thing I'll say. So you see the diagram. We're made up of three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. And what does the scripture restore? Somebody tell me. It restores the soul. Now, this is important. If you figure this out, you're going to have a phenomenal life. If you don't figure it out, you are going to struggle most of your life. The question is, if you talk about sports or leadership or investments or business, People talk about burnout on our culture. Well, and they say burnout comes because you're working too much. You're spending too much time doing this. And there may be some truth to that, but that's not, that's not where burnout comes from. John Wesley got up at four o'clock every morning, spent time with the Lord. He preached four times a day for about 40 years. He wrote about 40 books while he's on horseback. He started a movement that swept half of the world. And he never got burned out because what he did at four o'clock in the morning. Jesus was very, very, very busy. I like being busy. I would like to have more margin. But burnout doesn't come because you're busy. Burnout and depletion comes because your soul gets lean. It's like driving a truck to work 20 miles, but you don't, you have an, a quarter inch of gas in a gas tank. You're going to be on the side of the road. That's why the average pastor stays in a church three years. The average youth guy, year and a half. That's why 90% of missionaries are back home from the field within a couple of years. It's because they burn out and it's because 
they can't take the stress when their soul is lean. They're empty. They're trying to do the work of the Lord and the flesh, and the flesh of, arm, of your arm will always fail you. Now, God made us three parts. Remember, we are a what? What are we? We are a spirit. When you were conceived in your mommy's womb, you have eternal life. You're going to live somewhere. People die without Christ. You're going to live separated from God forever. You never die spiritually. And you're going to live forever. So your, your spirit, that's who you are. And then you have a what? You have a soul. You are a spirit. You have a soul. And your soul is made up of my, your mind, your will, and emotions. God has a spirit. God has a soul. God has a will. God feels emotionally. He has love. He has anger. He has joy. He has a, uh, he has a mind, he thinks. And then we live in a, we live in a body. One day we'll get an eternal body, which will be a pretty good deal. Now, here's your deal. The most important thing in your life is to get your soul replenished every day. You can't be a good wife. You can't be a good father. You can't be a good employee. You can't own a company and do well. You can't serve the Lord. You can't be a good neighbor. You can't be a good student. You can't do anything because you're going to do it in your ability and in your flesh. But you need to do it in the power of the Spirit. So, you got 24 hours every day. Learn to give the Lord at least one hour to be in the Scriptures and to pray. Now, say the verse with me again, please. The law of the Lord is... And it restores the soul. Now, the second picture of Scripture is called the testimony. Everyone say testimony. What is a testimony? If you're called to court, you're called to testify, you're going to bear witness. And the testimony of the Lord is sure, which means dependable and trustworthy. Now, put a picture up on the screen can you tell me, anybody, where that photo is from? It's from uh, Midway, Kentucky. Do you see that? Where is it? Now, I grew up with horses, and we had good horses, and I love a good horse, but if I, it was on my bucket list to go to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and they do that not on horses, not on camels, not on sheep, not on Harleys, they do it on mules because a mule is sure-footed. A mule is dependable. You normally don't rattle mules. And so the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise, if you want to be wise, the Lord wants to take all of us simple folk. Those are my cousins in South Carolina. The naive. Do you know what naive means? It's not a good trait to have. It means you don't understand stuff you should have understood. You don't see what you should see. So the scripture and the testimonies of the Lord will take all of us and give us wisdom. Now here's the best definition of wisdom I've ever heard. Wisdom is learning to see life from God's perspective. Wisdom is not about education. Education is good. Get as much as you can. If you're not careful, education can make you arrogant. Knowledge puffs up, the scripture says. But get it, but don't be full of yourself. And it's not about an IQ. If you have a high IQ, that's a gift. But it can make you proud and make you think you're better than other people. This is not about either one of them. It's learning to see life the way God sees it. How many want to learn to see life the way God sees stuff? Amen. Well, we're all on the same page. So if you want to be wise, or if you want to stay simple, 
It is your choice. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise even the most simple person. So all of us are on the same ground. Commit yourself to the word. Number three. The precepts. Everyone say precepts. What are precepts? They're principles. So we want to learn to live by precept and by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Precept means the Lord wants me to be kind. The Lord wants me to be honest. The Lord wants me to admit my fault. The Lord wants me to be faithful. The Lord wants me to to handle my money well and pay my bills. So we want to live by precepts. The precepts of the Lord are right. Everyone say right. They're right all the time. The precepts of the Lord will never lead you wrong. And if you obey the Lord and follow his precepts, the rest of the verse says you will have something. What will you have? You will have a joyful heart. Now, some of us in the room, you lost your joy. You've let circumstances overwhelm you. You haven't been walking close to the Lord. You've been focused maybe even on serving him versus spending time with him. I want to say you can get your joy back and you can keep your joy because they rejoice the heart. Now, these precepts, when you think right and you act right, and speak right. And I ask the Lord a lot. Lord, help me think right. Help me act right. Help me speak right. Please, Lord, you have joy because you're obeying the Lord. And that is called righteousness. When the scriptures say that our God is a righteous God, well, what does that mean? He always speaks right. He always thinks right. He always acts right. And as sons and daughters, we want to be like our father. Someone say amen. We want to be like our father in an increasing way. Now, the fourth picture, the commandment. What's a commandment? Well, if your, if your captain in the Marine Corps gives you a command, commandment, he gave you a decree, and he expects you to follow that decree. The commandments of the Lord are pure. Which commandments? All of them. Untainted. Now, I've had the privilege to go on a, a number of places on, in mission trips, helping and serving people, and I've been so blessed. In about 40 countries, I've never been sick. I've been on trips with people that half the people on the trip got sick. And I've, I learned early on, no matter how good that food looks on the street, don't buy it and don't eat it because maybe the locals will enjoy it, but my tummy is not accustomed to it and I could be in a cheap hotel for three or four days holding my stomach rolling in agony because I ate something I shouldn't have eaten. I have been careful what I drank. I had a pastor's wife. She lived... She lived in a dump, I mean, literally a garbage fill. And she was so glad I sat in her little house on top of the garbage fill. And she offered me Kool-Aid, and I saw where she got that water. And graciously, I did not enjoy her Kool-Aid that day. The commandments of the Lord are pure, which means they are untainted. And do you know the difference between what's pure and what's polluted? Can you see the picture? You can put things in your head and your heart that's pure, or you can put things in your head and your heart that will mess you up. Number five. The fear. What are you talking about, Steve? The fear. Well, it's another picture of the book. 
when we open the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it doesn't mean I'm afraid he's going to strike me dead or he's going to cut me off. My father would not do that. But the fear of the Lord means I have supreme respect for him more than anybody else. And when I open the book, I need to be respectful of the book and what the book says. And it says, the fear of the Lord is clean. That means I respect it. I pay attention. It's just not any other book. It's not just any other person speaking to me. And the fact that he says it's clean means it's safe. Everyone say safe. And it's wholesome. And it's good for ingesting. And then the verse says, it is clean forevermore. You know, our culture changes every week. Politics changes every week. But the word of the Lord is clean. It'll be clean on Monday. It'll be clean next Monday. It'll be clean next year. It'll be clean a million years from now. It's clean and it's good. I don't know if anybody's ever heard this story, true story in history. In the 1840s in Europe, there was a rash of young women giving birth to healthy babies, then later getting sick and dying in great numbers. England, Switzerland, France, Italy, Germany, Sweden, and they could not figure out why we had a good delivery, the best of care, and these young women were later dying. This gentleman became a hero and has blessed all of us. In 1847, I hope I can pronounce his name, Dr. Ignaz Simmelweis, an Austrian physician. He had been an attorney and didn't think that was challenging enough, so he went back to medical school and became a doctor. And he was just puzzled by this. And he said, there's got to be cause and effect, and we're not figuring this out, and we got to save lives, and we have to figure this out. So he took this on and his challenge at the hospital he worked at. And as he started taking notes, going to other hospitals, taking notes, he observed something that nobody else was paying attention to. These doctors were treating their patients with love and care, but they were going from one patient to the next patient, at the, to the next patient, to the next patient without washing their hands between patients. And apparently nobody had picked up on this. I mean, in the Civil War, if you got wounded on the battlefield, if the bullet didn't kill you, the infection that you got from the surgery might kill you. I had a great-great-grandfather that died of infection in the Civil War. They didn't know about bacteria and germs. They just did the best they could. And there were some doctors that were even doing autopsies on people that died of illness and treating a, another person and passing that on to them. You could imagine. So he came up with a theory that these women were dying because of infection that was transferred by their doctors. And so he started championing what he called antisepsis. And he just said, we could reduce these deaths simply if all of us doctors would rigorously wash our hands between every patient. And here, this was another new theory. And why don't we use clean sheets? Why do we have to have 10 or 15 or 20 people use the same sheet? I mean, nobody really thought about that at the time. Do you think he was accepted? No. 
He was mocked. He was called an idiot. They tried to uh, drive him out of medicine. But this guy was tough, and he was determined and said, I think I'm right, and I'm going to stand by my research. And ultimately, he was proven correct. And Ignace Simon Weiss is a hero who's probably saved millions of lives because he understood the value of hygiene and cleanliness. And if you've had surgery in the last 10 or 20 years, if he's in heaven, you should thank him. So do you understand the difference between what is clean and what's deadly? Here's what the scripture tells us. Say it with me. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Number six, the judgments. What's a judgment? Well, if a man in a black robe in a court, he's made a judgment, it means he has decided this is what we're going to do. And if he decided that, that's probably what you're going to do. And the scripture says the judgments of the Lord are true, which to me, true means accurate. If you are an archer and you're good at what you do, if your shot is true, it means it was accurate. You hit the bullseye. And the scripture says they are true and righteous altogether. That means the word of God is always on target for your life. It will always help you. It will always help you course correct. If you're shooting here and shooting there and God's word says your attitude, your words, your actions need to change, that's how you do it. So are you with me so far? Are you understanding? Hello, are you? Okay, this is for you and this is for me. Now, the writer of Psalms adds two little things that are important. This is more desirable than much gold. You could be wealthy financially, but not be wise. That's going to ruin you. It is sweeter than honey. And the drippings of the honeycomb. Now, there's some food I despise. I don't want to eat. Lima beans were not invented by God. They were invented by the devil. If I'm at your house, you serve me lima beans, I will eat most of them. Some may be in my shoe or my pocket. I don't like them. I might cover them up with all kinds of condiments. I will still eat them, but I will not be a happy boy. Oatmeal, I don't particularly like, especially the way my wife eats it. It just looks like stuff, gravel. It looks like all kind of dirt. I'll eat it, but it just kind of sticks in your mouth, doesn't have a lot of taste. But if you give me a biscuit out of the oven, cut it open, put butter on it. By the way, I'm not allowed to have them right now. And put some honey on it. Mm -mm. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. <clears throat> The so Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you, David. I'm tracking with you on this. And when it comes to the scripture, the hunger for the word of God has to be developed. It's not automatic. It has to be developed, and it can only be developed if you do it. And that's called spiritual disciplines. It's not something I'm going to do once. It's something I'm going to do the rest of my life because of the benefits. Lord, I'm in. And moreover, by them, your servant is warned. Is being warned, is that a good thing? Yes or no? Is warning a good thing? On my second mission trip 
I went to Buenos Aires. One of our elders went with me. There was a massive revival happening in Argentina. And my buddy Dan and I, we're country boys. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know Spanish. We've never been in this huge city. And so we go to this city. We get off the plane. We get off the bus. We're downtown Buenos Aires. We're like Gomer Pyle and Pee Wee Herman going, golly, look at all the pretty things. And so we're not paying attention. We're going to cross the street, eat something at a restaurant. And my buddy doesn't even look. He steps off the curb into the street. I catch something yellow coming at my left rapidly, and it was a taxi cab. And I only had time to grab my buddy Dan, who was looking that way, by the shirt collar and jerk him out of the street. Dan said, thank you for saving my life. But boy, that scared me. I said, well, maybe, 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 maybe too. Me, 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 me too. I mean, it took me a while to get my heart because I took this friend and almost got him killed his first day on the mission trip. So warning is good. But also in keeping them, the Bible says is great reward. You invest $5,000 in a stock. Five years later, your 5000 has made $75,000. That is reward. Now, I don't want to just tell you about stuff. Well, Steve, I've never read the Bible. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what works. Well, let me share some things that have worked for me over the years. They may not work for you, but they might. We're all wired a little different, but these work for me. Number one, we see people come to Christ on a regular basis. We want to get them in the Bible the first week reading the Bible. We give them a paperback Bible. This is an English standard version, very readable. Very accurate. It's about $8, $9, put one in their hand. And so you start with a paperback because you want to go buy some expensive Bible and you don't even know what you got. Paperback Bibles, I've read a bunch of them and I love them. It'll tear up in about two years if you read it a lot. Number two, this is not like a Joel Rosenberg or Tom Clancy book. You don't start at the front, go to the back. Start with a New Testament Start with Matthew. Go to Revelation. Why, Steve? Because the New Testament, the truth is right on the surface. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Forgive your enemies. Do good to those. Truth is right on the surface. Old Testament, a lot of the truth is 12 inches down. And if you don't know the symbolism, it can mess you up because you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so go through the New Testament. I suggest a couple of times before you go to the old. Three, to me, this is the only way it'll work for me. I have to set reading goals. I use a four by six card. I'll put a month and a half on one side, month and a half on the other side. I'll, tomorrow morning, I'll get up and I'll, I'll write down the days of the week for this coming week, and I will measure what I read. Why do you do that? That's legalism. No. If I say I love the scriptures, and I look back over a month, and I've had no time, I do not love the scriptures. I've lied to myself. I started with one chapter a day. Then I went to two chapters, then three. Start small. The principle is no plan, You will have no progress. Four, I mark my Bible up. It's hard for me to read stuff because I'm a learner. I want to study. Mark your Bible up. Write in your Bible every day. I'll I'll put questions. I'll put notes. I'll put people's names. I'll put the day. I'll put the time. I want to look back and know that God met me there. Number five, this is important. Before you start reading, if you breathe a short prayer, Holy Spirit, teach me today. Teach me one thing. I don't need to understand everything. If you're the teacher, 
Teach me one thing today. Six, when you read is important. I'm a morning person. If I get up and I have a cup of coffee, if I don't go to the Bible, it's not going to happen at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock because I'm about out of gas. I'm a morning person. So you do it when and you do it where. That's my chair where I read. Do it where you're at your best. Do it where you're at your most alert. Seven, avoid distractions. Well, how do I do that? Well, read alone. I do not cut on the TV. I can't have ESPN or highlights from some Gettysburg battle on because I'll be back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Uh, have a notebook or a card or a paper beside it because the Holy Spirit will show you stuff. And if he shows you once, he's not obligated to show you twice. So I write it down. Worship music can be helpful. And maybe you can. I only use instrumental worship when I'm reading and when I'm praying. Because I can't have people singing words to me and me talking to Jesus at the same time because I'm going to be back and forth, back and forth. But worship music does help me. Eight. A little further along, buy a good study Bible that will help you understand. The Life Application Bible is a good Bible. First Bible I read, just plain Jane Bible, ten times had no notes, no maps, no nothing. I loved it. It's still my most priceless possession. Life Application Bible, I probably read through that one five times. They will eventually kind of fall apart. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. I love the notes in it. About every 10 pages, it'll have a biography, like there's a biography of Samuel the prophet. Really helpful. It'll have maps and have other insights into difficult passages. And I love this. They'll deal with things like why God never wanted his people to have a king and displace him. So here's another Bible I have enjoyed. The Evidence Bible by Ray Comfort. Great soul winner. Great apologist. This page in particular talks about if you're going to win people to Christ... Usually you have to get them lost before they'll get saved. They have to know they're depraved. Here's another Bible I enjoyed. And don't go out and buy all these right now today. Don't go rush to Amazon. This is Sean and Josh McDowell, father and son, great apologist of the faith. And I just discovered there's a lot of people smarter than me that have figured out some stuff and seen stuff. And I like to learn from those kind of people. This is what I'm reading right now. The C.S. Lewis Bible. I read through it 10 years ago and loved it. And I just said, I'm going to go to my shelf and pull it down. I'm going to read it again. I'm in Psalms right now. And here's what, what I've enjoyed about it. There's excerpts from letters, stuff from his journal, stuff from books about every other page. And I've just watched him as he talked about the death of his wife, dealing with the problem of evil, dealing with his failures and questions about the great things in life. And as he's wrestled, I felt like I've wrestled right alongside him. And it's been a joy. Number nine. This was life-changing. Have you ever read your Bible and you got up and you finished and you could not remember a single thing you read? How many have done that? I've done it a bunch. Couldn't remember a thing. And I'm going, am I a knucklehead? I mean, I spent 30 minutes or an hour and I don't remember anything. What's wrong? I must be a poor student. Well, it happens. But one day the Holy Spirit taught me something. He said, the word goes in your eyes. 
It goes through your brain, goes to your soul. And even when it doesn't stick in your brain, it affects your spiritual heart. And I realized, man, I feel stronger. I want to love. I have great faith. All because I've been, I've had my soul restored. Now today, when it, every time I read the scriptures, I try to go away with one thought. I write down on a card one thing I want to apply. Now, I'll, I need to warn you, okay? Christians don't see this coming, and they get hit by a demonic bus trying to discourage people from reading the Bible. Don't get hung up or stuck on anything in the Bible you don't understand. Because there's a lot of stuff I still don't understand. I'm learning every day, but there's a lot of stuff. So what the devil tries to use is a difficult passage to mess you up, to cause you to want to close the book and say, well, God must not be good. Look at that. So, and then you stop reading. You close the book. You are dead in the water. You will never have strength. So here's what I've learned to do. I simply mark it. Everyone say mark it. One more time. Say it again, mark it. I mark it. I take my pen. I put a question mark. I put a circle around it. And maybe two years from now, the Holy Spirit will show me what that's about. But I'm not worrying about it. I'm moving on. Number 11, close your Bible reading time. Trying to remember one truth. Just one. Not everything. One truth. Think about it during the day. Write it on a card. Lord, I thank you that those two men got glorious victories in battles in 2 Samuel 23. And when the battle was over, both of them said, to the Lord belongs a victory this day. Lord, I want to remember every day you're the one that brought me the victory. Worship team, can you guys come out? Here's another thing I learned. Help me. Man, it's paid dividends. I do not pray than read my Bible. And I almost never go for a prayer time without being in a word first. Do you know why? Because if I'm in the word first, my mind is renewed. And I'm ready to go pray. If I'm not in the Bible first, it takes me 30 minutes to wake up. It takes me 30 minutes to feel like God's Spirit is actually in the car with me today. And my prayer time is 10 times better. I want to close with this. I hope this has helped you. Some Christians have zero appetite for the Word. Some pastors and youth pastors and worship leader only look at the word when they're trying to get a message. They're going to be dead in the water. Some Christians, and maybe it's you, have little appetite for God's word. And the question is, why? Here's the answer. Are you ready? Maybe you've been a Christian 30 years. But your soul has been starved. Yeah, you go to church every week. You even listen to podcasts, which are good. But you're starving on the inside like this Vietnamese man was starved in the 60s. All because... You never learn to feed yourself. You've been dependent on other people to feed you. So I want to close this time. I do love you. 
but I want to help you. As a brand new Christian, my spiritual dad, who was 26, man, he loved the word. He memorized the word. He marked up his Bible. He taught the word. And I just said, Lord, I don't know anything about the word. My family has no depth in the word. And I prayed a prayer. I bet I prayed it for a year. Lord, give me a hunger for the word because I don't have it. I need to feed on your word and you're going to have to help me or it's never, ever going to happen. But once you pray that, you got to do something on Monday. Once you pray that, you got to do something on Tuesday. And if it's just start with one chapter or even half a chapter, just get started and you'll watch your hunger grow. So here's what I want to do today. If you would like to ask God's Spirit to give you a supernatural hunger for the Word, I want to pray for you, but I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up saying, not only pray for me, but I'm going to get started. So if you want me to pray, just stand up. And let's ask the Lord to give us a hunger for the Word of God. Because we need all these things to happen in our life. We want to build our life on what is eternal. So, Father, as my family, my friends, my brothers and sisters stand, and I pray the same for myself and for those watching online. Give us a supernatural hunger to know you and to know your word. We want your thoughts, Lord. We want to be adjusted. We want to be warned and rewarded to release that hunger for the word and help us get started. And when we forget and miss our time, we'll just say, I'm sorry, Lord, and we'll get back the next day. But release that hunger today in Jesus' name. God with our lives and so if you know it sing along and if you don't then just make that our prayer this morning that we can love him more this year in our day-to-day when I look into your holiness when I gaze into your loveliness when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you when I found the joy of reaching your heart when enthralled in your love when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you I worship you I worship
the Father loves us so much and he wants fellowship with us. He wants to teach us his ways. It always starts with a commitment and surrender. And if you've never committed your life to the Lord or you've been on the fringes and you've never just fully bought in, why don't you do it today? It's a simple step. It just says, Say with me, Lord Jesus. That's right, Lord Jesus. I surrender today. I give you my life, my heart, my future, everything in my life, I give it to you. Make me your child. Forgive me, cleanse me, give me a home in heaven because today I commit today to walk with you forever. Jesus' name. We're closing our services now, but there's people that will pray with you. If you just want to linger in God's presence, you're welcome to do that. Pick up your children. But if you prayed that prayer with me, tell one of your brethren here what you did. God bless you. Serve him well. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.